Okay, welcome to another episode of uh, Twice Told Tales. Joining us today is Hannah. She is currently a master's student pursuing um, political economy of the Silk Road uh, studies, so working with China. She has previously studied in Australia and uh, during the COVID pandemic, and she has an interesting perspective uh, on what's currently happening in Iran. So. She's also joining us on two VPNs because of connection <laughs> issues and her uh, advice for me. Yeah. Computer a guru, a nerd, <laughs> who has told her that there is a way if you are having trouble in Iran, you can use two VPNs at once. You log into one and then another, and then you can bypass some of the VPN restrictions. So, but because of that, she also, uh, video is not connecting properly because it takes a stronger bandwidth. So excuse us for the lack of video on this, this podcast. Um, all right, so I guess we can begin. Maybe you can just uh, give us a little bit of a, a background on like when you got back to Iran and, and what, you're, what, what you feel about these, uh, the current state of things and, and your or reintroduction to Iranian society over the last year and a half. How has that, how has that culminated in the current events like, and your perspective? Um, hello, everyone. This is my first experience being on a podcast. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. And um, how to start? Well, first thing I should say, I didn't study in Australia. I just lived there. Um, I just wanted to make sure everything is like near to accurate about me. Um, I came back to Iran um, around two and a half months ago. And the situation, the current situation is really frightening for me. Um, me and Satara had the chat before this interview and um, I was just like, I am frustrated and um, we need to find a way to kind of overcome this situation um, as soon as possible. Um, and when I say we, I mean uh, we as Iranian women first and then Iranian people, um, because this is something as it's been introduced to um all the countries around the world um by something under the umbrella or banner of women's rights in iran um which you know it's it's a massive propaganda and um i would say the psyops of all the imperialist countries and any country that doesn't want iran to exist is trying to, um, you know, use any kind of sources um, or media to not, um, you know, like to see this um, chaos and the uprisings or unrest or whatever you, you guys call it um, doesn't stop. It needs to continue. Um, until i don't know until the destruction of iran or until whatever they're aiming to um achieve but this is what i'm 100 uh, percent assured by these uh, medias and these governments that they don't want it to stop and they do whatever they can to make sure it will continue and what what were your what have your experiences been with the uh, the people around you when you if you share that opinion with people who you um hmm. who, who who you expect to 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 maybe understand that have you found that they understand that or do you find that this like the propaganda inside Iran is is almost as as intense as outside how how would you describe that mhm mm well, I think um, um, I would go back to 2020 
when Sardar Soleimani was assassinated by um, the U.S. And back then, um, the reaction to this terror was one of the first really confronting moments for me because I, I was shocked. I was shocked how um, people around me are receiving this news. Um, some people were happy. Some people were numb. They were like, whatever, we don't care. It wouldn't affect our lives. It doesn't matter. Some people were kind of, um, I should say, not sad, but like disappointed maybe. But um, they will not show it to you. Um, they hide it as much as they can because they think there's a, there's a bit of shame um, in this feeling, in this sort of pride that you might have for your country or, um, you know, you, you're belonging to this country or whatever it's, it's nationalism or it's whatever. I don't know. I don't know how they, uh, try to explain, um, their kind of, um, point of view, but for me, it was really confronting. Um, and this time where are you? Not, sorry sorry to interrupt you where are you in where are you in australia at that time are you talking about uh, like people you knew in australia or you're talking about people you knew in tehran it's very interesting that you asked this question because <laughs> um since i went to australia i decided to two times i decided to come back <laughs> 2019 mm -hmm. was the first time i came back to iran and so many things happened and I went back to Australia. Oh. This time again, I came to leave. And now, like, this is the situation. So, no, I was in Iran. Maybe you should stop coming to Iran. I know, right? Yeah. I don't know what's, what's behind it, but yeah, it's not about me, please. <laughs> Um, yeah, we're doing some sort of. Okay. Yeah. So you were you were in Australia when uh, Suleimani was assassinated. No, 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 no. I was in Iran. Oh. I was right oh, okay. in the middle of Tehran. It oh, was. Wow. It was after the uprising um, about um, um, having how many three hundred percent increase of uh, petrol price um, when people. Mm. Uh, uh, came out and there was like a big uh, protest all around Iran. Right after that, um, um, Sardar Soleimani, the uh, general of uh, Oats, was assassinated. And yeah, so coming back to the question about now, it's not shocking for me, unfortunately. So the shock happened three years ago. Um, it's the same thing. Um, but when you ask, how do you, like, did you expect them to understand or would you share your um, perspective? No, I don't. <laughs> um, when Setara asked me to talk on this podcast, um, there were some sort of um, feelings for me. And one of them, I, I shouldn't say the main one, but one of the big ones. Uh, was fear like um, how can I talk about um, the way I see this situation uh, who is going to listen to this podcast so uh, how much I should uh, censor myself should I do it um, all this stuff so there is a fear um, and yeah I, I could like I couldn't neglect it very easily. It was there. It's in the air. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. Sorry, I kind of lost the track. Did I answer to your question? Well, I think we're. No. She was wondering what the like the propaganda. How, when you were seeing how it affected, or or the mental kind of hypnosis of people around uh, 2020, was that within 
the I guess it was within the Iranian people, not not people in Australia. And would there be any overlap between how that that kind of hypnosis happens in Iran versus what you've seen in Australia? Is it sort of uh, is it just born out of the media narrative, or how do you what do you think causes people to act like this? I guess that might be even a better kind of way to understand. Well, um, I don't know how this answer would look like, um, but this is this is how I see Australians, um, and it's um, purely based on my experience. It might be a bit um, rude, or I don't know, <laughs> but honestly, I do not expect um, white people, especially Australians, to understand any kind of politics of my region. I don't expect them. Like um, years of living in Australia, not years and years, I just lived there for eight years. Um, but um, at the beginning of my experience with um, so-called leftists in Australia, um, I started to understand, all right, they are not the people who I can share my ideas or I can expect them to kind of um, help me to, you know, um, grow up in the um, in the politics. Uh, doesn't matter where I am. Uh, if they are leftist, um, they are leftist. But that wasn't very accurate of me to think like this. Um, so even now, I received a couple of messages from uh, Australian friends worrying about my situation, so-called unsafe um, uh, conditions of Iranian women in Iran and asking who, uh, how I am and this stuff. And I, I was going to rant on them being like, when was the last time you were worried about Iran? except for these kind sort of things that is um, truly imposed by imperialist mainstream propaganda all around the world. When was the last time that you didn't hear any, some sort of news from, I don't know, um, Guardian or New York Times or whatever, um, the same uh, paper that said, uh, confidently a couple of weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago, that the supreme leader of Iran is dead <laughs> and huh. they just don't want to yeah. say it. Like New York Times, we're not talking about some random uh, paper. It's New York Times and they, um, they, they say it and there is no cost for them. Uh, yeah. The impunity is there. It's for them. So I expect not... They don't have to verify at all. No. Not at all. Um, I don't. I I do expect my own people to understand the truth, not not because they're not white or Australian, whatever. It's because the truth um, has a very direct effect on our lives. If we do not talk about what is really happening in Iran, we're gonna fail it. And it's there. It's not something I'm, I'm really frightened. Like at the beginning of the um, protest and stuff, I wasn't um, like I, I did feel bad about the situation. But at the end, I was like, it's going to be fine. But now when I see the big gap between the reality and how the media is covering it, it's massive. And then what will happen is, what, what is happening, sorry, it's not will, it's already happening, is, is what the image of Iran is doing to kind of accelerate the process of destructing Iran. Like, so you show the image that Iranians all around the world, including Iran, is in the street, they're demanding their rights, they're doing whatever they can because they're so fed up. And this is the last time. Come on and join us. If you don't join us, we, we do not forget you. We will remember you for after the uh, revolution <laughs> or whatever they call it. 
um, come on, join us. So there's a Russian um, urgency here that you need to be like, all right, I need to decide. I need to decide right now. What should I do? This is one thing. Take a side immediately or you will be, yeah. Yeah, everything is immediate, everything. Right now, you need to be like, which which side of the history you are on, the right side or the wrong side? Okay. This is about Iranians, but more important than that is about like Saudi Arabia or I don't know, uh, America or um, uh, European countries. I think they what they want to achieve from this because they know it's not real right but what they want to achieve is uh one to prove that iran is not stable to the friends of iran i think whoever wants to work with iran will think all right iran is not safe enough for me to kind of um invest my money in this country all right i need to stop and I need to, uh, you know, rethink about my project. Another way is that I, I can prove it to you that your country is not safe and we are doing it to you. So come and negotiate in a way that you're not equal with me. You are, we have the upper hand and you need to accept it. And it's going to be even worse if you don't accept it right now. Again, the same thing. The, the the moment that you need to decide, oh my God, everything is so dangerous right now. The Southeast, the West, the tourists are there. Everyone is doing something. Iran is going to collapse in a minute. So I need to, I don't know, give up on my nuclear deal, whatever, whatever it's on the table. Um, so I need to accept it otherwise. I don't know otherwise. There is a lot of lines that you can put after this otherwise that they want to kind of picture it like that. It's funny because if I hadn't heard you, sorry, I'll just say this one thing. If, you, if I hadn't heard you like the beginning of what you were saying, all the descriptions of the propaganda you were saying is almost, I, you could have been talking about COVID. Like that was all like the whole, like it. it's, the truth is an immediate threat to your family and the you're you're around you and the media is telling you something completely different from what you're experiencing the rush to make a, a rash decision like you have mm -hmm. to join a side you have to uh mm -hmm. you know and the the kind of overwhelming na nature of it uh, mm -hmm. is is really similar so i uh so Terry, you go ahead and, and say what you're going to say but then maybe we could shift into how there's kind of a from your experience in Australia to to how there's a lot of similar threads to this this experience. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, there are very like uh, I can see the similarities. That's uh, that's one thing that was like um, I think uh, amazing, and I hadn't seen before. For example, in the previous. Um, protests and uprising, even in 2009, for example, when everything was really more intense than it is now, that, mm -hmm. and it's probably like, I mean, a big part of it has to do with social media, that mm -hmm. um, people don't want to fall behind. They want to take a side immediately. And then you mm -hmm. have a lot of people that come to you and urge you to take side like mm -hmm. i've seen uh, really crazy examples of uh, people just uh, messaging either celebrities or people which is who are just doing business on instagram that uh, why haven't you posted about it why aren't you saying anything about it and you don't let people to have their time space uh, to figure out what's happening and then um I mean, maybe they want to take a side or not. So this urge was, and I think that's really dangerous because just with a with a click, you can share something that doesn't really exist and like fake news spreads like that. But before we go to the, like talking about the narrative and um, comparing the narrative of COVID and uh, what is happening in Iran, especially in Australia and Iran, uh, I just want to get a few things for our audience um, clear. Uh, can you tell us about, uh, I mean, if you want to share with us, can you tell about tell us about what's your stance on 
um, like uh, the morality police and um, uh, the mandatory hijab. And also, I need to because um, I it it, be, it it didn't become absolutely clear for me that when you were talking that people um, around you um, did not understand, like they did not even understand what was happening to General Soleimani, or um, you were the first time you were shocked, but the second time now you're not shocked. Are you talking about like how? Are you talking about uh, people you knew in person? Are you talking about people you know on social media or people you know in real life? Because I think that's also important to point out. Like, um, did you see other opinions, like something different also coming? For example, I would say that personally, I knew people with different ideas, um, but I don't know, like if when I when I take a look at the pictures of, for example, the funeral, it's very different from what the perception that I get from the people around me. I'm saying that as an example, not uh, necessarily mm -hmm. the thing, but it was part of it was actually the thing that I also experienced that mm -hmm. um, you get an image on social media and then even the people the like uh, the people you know in person but then the image in the in the society like you walk down the street and then things can be very different so can you also tell us about that sure um so the first thing um about mandatory hijab um i am against it and i um have been actively i mean before um uh, going to Australia, a um, couple of times I was arrested. Um, I remember one or two times of them was not even about me. I was just um, passing by and saw some girls uh, having issues with the moral police. And I, um, you know, tried to help them. And I got arrested and they didn't, <laughs> which is funny. Um, Can yeah. Can you tell us like what happened when they arrested you? Did you what did they take you to a police station or what happened? Because um, that's also something. Yes, they did. Um, so the time um, that um, I remember I was in Haftatir uh, train station. Um, and um, that time I don't actually uh, recall the the year um maybe it was after 2009 yeah it was so uh, the situation wasn't really uh peaceful back then um and um i think my friend or me i don't remember uh one of us um took out the phone to kind of uh film what is happening <laughs> and then the police said to me, all right, you are um, you are working for Masih Ali Najad and now everything is different. And I was like, um, sorry, I use some bad words <laughs> anyway. And I was like, no, <laughs> I am not. I am against hijab, uh, truly, but I'm not working for it. Please don't insult me with that. Like, arrest me, but don't say it. <laughs> And she was like, what do you mean? She was like, just get to the van. I was like, no, you have to take it back. I am not working for that person. Um, so that was a bit, uh, a bit of fight there. Um, and yes, so, they... so it, it wasn't for your hijab or was it for it your was. hijab? And then it it's got to the filming. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I remember I called my sister. Um, I said, my um, outfit is not, um, as they see it, is not really appropriate. So please bring me some other stuff. She was really angry with me. And she said, this is the third time, or I don't remember actually. Um, so I waited there and she came. She brought me a better outfit. I wore it. And then, um, oh, I think I, um, they took a picture of me with a number which was really interesting for me and I was laughing and she was like why are you laughing everyone cries here I'm like no, you guys are so funny oh you're good laughing. Uh, I laughed yeah. the whole time like 
maybe <laughs> part of it was a bit hysteric because I I was a bit nervous, but also I wanted I wanted them to be um, I don't know angry with me or kind of agitate them. So it was a bit of interesting experience. You wanted to show strength. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of. You- Wow, you you are like a perfect example of someone who caught who would cause like liberal Americans, probably Australians, to heads to explode because they don't understand that you can have nuanced right. views on this. And you're like you're. And uh, let me ask you this question: Did they beat you in the police station? Oh, okay. Yeah. okay, so your sister was more likely to beat you than the police were in that case. <laughs> <laughs> No, she didn't, but she was angry. And it's interesting because only last week when we were talking and it was at the beginning of, I don't know, sorry, it's been 16 days now. So maybe 10 days ago, um, she actually turned to me and she said, why are you staying at home? If it was 10 years ago, we, we needed to beg you to stay home. And now you are here. Do you remember those crazy days? And I was like, yep, fully. I fully remember those crazy days. I don't regret them. Um, but no, it's a different person now. So, But is it, is to- it that or is it that you actually what? see the difference in what's happening now than then? Because I think like, it well, has to be different now. Well, like, what do you mean by a different person? Like, why are you a different person now? Yeah, is I am because a different person because I... Please? Sorry. Are you afraid of getting arrested by the police no. that you're not going straight? No. So I am actually not no. wearing hijab every single day when I go out. Even if I uh, like sometimes unconsciously I wear hijab, like I don't actually feel it, but I wear it. But when I see a girl or a woman not wearing hijab, I remember, oh, I'm wearing hijab. So I actually remove it. But this is something about my. Uh, protest and something that has been happening for years and years and so millions of women have been doing it and the silence doesn't matter we 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 need to make noises and we need to challenge this um uh, systematic uh discrimination i call it discrimination but why i say i'm a different person because i had a chance to go and see Iran uh, as a uh, in a bigger picture. Like uh, today, my I I know how this um, very um, very human hum, like basic uh, demand that Iranian women want. Not not all of them actually. Um, so many uh, women in Iran they want their the hijab and the, the 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 question is about the freedom to wear or not to wear so i am the same person in terms of the demand that i have as an iranian woman but the difference is about how i see it in a bigger picture how i see this protest in a bigger picture and how now i am aware of the you know the misuse or uh, the propaganda around this game for them. It's not a game for me. It's my life demand, <laughs> but it's a, it's a plan. It's a game for others to actually, as we were talking before, um, destroy Iran. So no, I'm not going to join to these protests, but I will uh, keep this, um, um, you know, attitude or objection towards uh, mandatory hijab um yeah you described it as a kind of boredom which i it really appealed to me that description because i feel the same way about so much of life right now because of the the messaging just creates this kind of zombification of the public Mm -hmm. so you're just in this in this environment with no diversity it's just conformists and it's it's sickening. And I, I, when you said boredom before we started recording, I was like, that is exactly what it is. It's just like mm-hmm. the, this media has like ripped the soul of individuals Absolutely. out and just replaced them with this, these automatons. So I don't know if you could elaborate on your feelings of boredom and maybe how that relates to your 
Uh, well, yeah, your experience would be. Satara sure. will probably join us again in a minute. She must have, must have okay. lost her connection. She needs to do double VPNs. That's what she needs. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't listen to me. I said, I said yeah. she ne you need to use double VPNs. I said, you're not doing it right, Satara. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, probably that's what I needed to do. I was using one. Uh, and that one stopped. <laughs> well, anyway. So how can I uh, describe this boredom? Um, it's, it's also frustration and it's also anger. Um, frustration because I want to do something, but I don't know what to do. Um, and it's boredom because there is a massive gap between what I see um, in the streets of Tehran and what I see in this, like with my own eyes, and then what I see in the street of Tehran uh, with the camera of BBC Persian or Saudi International or others. Why boredom? Because they keep repeating what they want to say to us, which is, please come out, please, you can do it. Um, look, there are so many Iranians out of Iran and they are organizing protests um, to, I don't know, show solidarity or whatever. This is a very big word for this situation, but this is how they sell it. Um, but then you compare the numbers that they come to the protest. <laughs> Someone tweeted um, a funny thing. They said, they keep saying to us that we need to keep the line. And when they say line, I think they, they might, might uh, mean picket line or whatever. I don't know. But just keep the line in Tehran. You can do it. You can do it. But then they um organize their own protests in western countries on a saturday afternoon when they don't have to go to work so we yeah. need to sacrifice everything and yep. keeping the line they they can go every day but because of freedom that they have but they choose a saturday afternoon so not even a one day off from their work that they can sacrifice. No, 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 no. They work. You have to make all the sacrifice. Yeah, absolutely. Because we are in Iran. We're not that smart to actually be able to immigrate. So we are stuck here. And the only way to free ourselves is ourselves. No one is there to help you unless you perform as good as you can. Then we can you know, convey this message to our leaders, which is the US or I don't know, Joe Biden today or yesterday, he said, um, we imposed, um, what did he say? The hardest or whatever um, sanctions on, on Iran if they wanna continue to um, oppress the protesters. Uh, he even, even mentioned yeah. about Sharif University. <laughs> Very interesting. Anyway, so go to the street, do this on a Saturday afternoon. If there was no rain, if it wasn't so cold, we go out too and we, I don't know, cut our hair or whatever. With, and some, some part of the protest, they raise Iranian flag. Some other part, they are uh, separatists. Um, so, you know, it's there's like another flag. There's another flag that's been at these protests. Do you know what other flag has been at these protests? <laughs> Can the you guess US what other? Oh, the Ukrainian flag. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so, it's the same. It's the same propaganda, yeah. like, uh, injection. It's that a goes into diversity. I'm, I, I, I don't understand what you're talking about. Ukraine and separate things. <laughs> Why not? The diversity. Diverse, diversity of propaganda campaigns. Diversity of propaganda campaigns. Absolutely. Right? Like it's the issues. It makes me so sad because imagine how much individual thought and creativity and like 
effort of humanity mm -hmm. over the last two years, if you include all the psyops, the COVID, the Ukraine, the Iran mm -hmm. now, all that, if you just removed that from people and just let them do their thing instead of like mm -hmm. pushing and pushing and pushing, I mean, how much, how many inventions and how many, you know, lives were lost in future, like human capital was lost in that. And, you know, I, I can hear it in your talking that you are a true leftist and you really do understand the dangers of capitalism. And I think this is this is one of the things in the end stage capitalism that happens is like because capital has so much control over society that you end up just smushing like smushing humanity out with you know in any way physically but also mentally you, you mm -hmm. it pushes people down and that's what we're seeing now in, in this boredom is just creating this kind of like weight just like pushing down on the working class and preventing anyone from thinking is just it's, it's suffocating uh but yeah so i i don't know if you have any other thoughts on that i really when we talked before i really appreciated your you're discussing being a union organizer and part of and working in, in that space. So maybe we could talk about that too. Uh, and because I think the perspective of class is really important. Actually, Satara and I in the last podcast were talking about the difference in class representation in the various protests that have happened in Iran. And we can mm -hmm. just pick the three that 2009, 2019, and then mm -hmm. today is very mm -hmm. interesting to look at how class has has worked in each of those. Like 2019 mm -hmm. is a very interesting example because everyone is affected mm -hmm. uh, in the working class, especially because they have the least uh, disposable income. So when the mm -hmm. price of fuel went up three times, mm -hmm. uh, the people who had no money couldn't use fuel anymore and it really mm -hmm. restricted their lives. But the rich people could just do whatever they want because it doesn't matter. Okay, a couple extra bucks, who cares? Um, and in this case, it's... It's also similar because the working class women are the ones that are harassed by the morality police the most or the guidance patrol. I prefer the actual mm -hmm. translation uh, The the guidance patrol harasses them the most because they're the ones on the public transportation. They don't have their Uber. They don't have their or their own driver or their own car. So mm -hmm. and then the rich parts of Tehran are the ones that nobody's wearing hijab anyway. And so the guidance patrol has just given up on them and they don't even go there. So you have parts, you have these little pockets of Tehran where people are allowed to basically walk around without uh, head covering on anyway. And it's those people that are then driving the protests. And the foreigners who live in countries that they've left and they don't even have to do, I mean, they're in a totally different culture now. And then they're somehow trying to influence and tell people in Iran to do things that influence their own lives. It's very, it's so complicated that I think when someone listens, when someone in the West is hearing about this, it's just so much easier to say, well, I don't like wearing something on my head, so they shouldn't have to wear something on their head either. That's that. And uh, so I think it would be nice to like discuss the diversity in that uh, experience, because you obviously are a like, perfect person to talk about that. So I'll just let you reflect sure, no on worries. my rant, rant there. No worries. Um, so um, I think um, even now um, I have a very clear, um, you know, um, stance on where I am right now about these protests. Um, I do not agree with them and I condemn them because the like this country um, is not going to um, get more progressive or uh, see more, um, you know, development um, when these uprisings are happening. It's actually vice versa. So the opposite way would work. Um, but I think even now that I do not agree with what uh, people in Iran are doing with people who are outside of Iran is not exactly the same uh, way that you described. Um, people, when they immigrate to other countries, especially, not especially, actually everyone goes to Western countries. No one goes to, to the East. Um, so when they go there, um, so it, it's kind of interesting because people in Iran use them uh, um, in a way that 
they need to have they need to have this kind of um, uh, feeling of guilt that you are there, you are happy, and now we want to use you, and you cannot say no. <laughs> um, so it's not like um, it's not the opposite way. Like oh, you guys shouldn't wear hijab. Like Iranian. Iranian women, they don't take bullshit. Even those that I don't agree with. Like they are, everyone is so political here. Everyone is so aware of whatever. Yes, the knowledge they receive is from interna uh, Saudi International or whatever. But at the same time, if you, if you see them in real life, like when they go to work, when they take train station, when they are in the uh, you know community, the the way they interact with each other is actually very interesting and advanced. So they they're not going to trust someone because only they are in the U.S. Um, so they trust their kind of demands because they trust their history of. Uh, wanting uh, the freedom for hijab. I think this is how they actually use those people. Um, that's why when Masi Ali Nejad goes to New York Times and say, I am a CNN, sorry, um, I am leading this protest, even the most um, like, um, how can I say it? Like, um, the ones that they don't care about anything the strongest unless... opponents. yeah the opponents like whoever like hates uh said ali khamenei or whatever even those people they're like what you're not leading us no way <laughs> who are you like you can see this objection from everyone like masi alinejad after that interview everyone is questioning her who are you no we are leading this <laughs> I, yeah. I don't agree with them. I don't think they are leading this. Uh, I wish they were leading this. Like, I would join them if I was thinking Iranian women are leading all these protests. No. But at least yeah. the way they, uh, like, react to this claim that I am leading this um, protest, they're like, no, get out of here. <laughs> we are using you because you are sending the message. That's it. Um, so this is one thing that I wanted to say, um, and so do you know, and, uh, do you know, a... yeah, you go, sorry. Yeah. So do you know a lot of, uh, women who are taking part in the protest? Um, no, whoever I know, and... they, uh, they want to go. So that's why I'm saying very few people uh, I see even in the uh, footage of Iran that they go actually to the protest. Maybe it's because of the age, because I heard, I don't actually know, but I heard there are um, more younger uh, women like uh, around 20 or 21 or something like this. Uh, maybe I'm too old <laughs> to know those people, but... Unfortunately, no, I don't. Whoever I know or I am speaking about are the ones that they actually uh, have sympathy with the protesters. And that's it. But they don't they... want to be a part of it. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or uh, at most, they kind of um, uh, show solidarity um, in online activities and stuff which I think it's very important because the image of these protests are more important than the reality, because this is this is the image that everyone is selling to to the you know to whoever doesn't want Iran to exist. So I have this image, and when I say image, I mean the hashtags. I mean uh, using millions and millions of numbers for having the trend of Iran on Twitter, or when when we talk about the like the death. Um, or whatever they can use as something very simple to sell and to show Iran is in a very chaotic situation. So you can attack police in Southeast, you can, uh, you can activate separatists in West, 
you can do this because this is the image. So image is, is far, far away from the reality, but it's more important. Yeah, I find that very interesting, well, the propaganda inside Iran. I, it's one of the things Satara and I were talking about trying to do a podcast on that in the beginning, because like we in the West, it's really hard, especially for even anti-imperialist Western activists to understand how Iranians who understand that their country is like fully under siege by sanctions and by Israel and by like all sorts of actors trying to dis destabilize Iran, how any of that messaging uh, from BBC Persia or even Facebook would would resonate with people. And then on top of that, like you described, like you look outside your window in Tehran and it's not what they're telling you. So mm -hmm. how, how is that disconnect working? Like how are Iranians living in Tehran buying this? Like what, why would they? Well, Iran, Iran's borders are France, uh, Belgium, Germany. <laughs> yeah, honestly. That's true, that's true. Like, we're not we're not living in this region afghanistan is not our um neighbor iraq is not our neighbor no like there is no war between um uh, countries all around iran there is no saudi arabia here who are you talking about like there is no palestine there is no conflict there is no issue like um you know we want to be another switzerland and we want to be another switzerland so um, if you if you say Saudi Arabia is doing this or doing that, they don't even understand the concept. Like honestly, going back to your previous question, it's very linked, I think, to this question when you talked about class. So in 2019, people protested against. Uh, the price of petrol, right? Because it's a very, very basic thing and it can affect all the prices um, and inflation is going to, I don't know, crazy um, impact on everything. So working class took to the streets, right? And who, where are they now in these uprisings? Um, they keep asking people to go on a strike they don't they shouldn't go to work so the same thing that Setara was explaining about questioning everyone why you didn't say anything the next step that i think they already have taken is why are you going to work stop working but who are these people they are the ones that they don't actually stop working themselves why why like protests are happening in the universities or over the night. They say it happens over the night only because of the safety. But I don't agree because actually when it's dark, yes, it's not easy for the police. But also I have been uh, involved in so many protests in Melbourne as well. When it gets dark, it's actually more dangerous for you as well. So like, no, that's not the only reason. The reason is that no one stops their real routine life no one <laughs> people go to work university or whatever school and then after that because it's a performance it's not a real protest it's just something as i said the image is more important so to make the image you don't have to stop working you go to work you do whatever you need to do and then after working hours you do the performance but, uh, like as what we are doing right now. Like this is this is a podcast. This is this is something that maybe people would call a hobby or whatever. A protest, I think, in their kind of point of view, is the same thing. So you do it and then you film it and you, you send it, and that's done. Your political activism is done for tomorrow. So go back to sleep. They don't even they don't even get worried for their uh, safety because they know when they go back home, they can sleep. They can turn off the lights. Everything is quiet. Everything is safe. Lock the door and sleep because Iran is safe. Yeah. Right? I, I just, safety... I'll, I'll hold your thought. Just I wanted to underline your thing about nighttime being safe. And if you look at like the the protests in Canada, the quote unquote the trucker protests, 
which is a very peaceful protest, a very family friendly protest, no matter what the propaganda says. It was the police targeted them in the middle of the night. That's how they got rid of the peaceful protesters. So if the police want if the police genuinely wanted to be aggressive and violent towards the protesters in Tehran and the protester at night, you couldn't ask for a better time to do it because there's yes. it's much harder to hold police accountable for their actions at night. Sure. So just underscore that. So go ahead. Sorry. No. Yeah, exactly. But what I want to say is about the class, right? So um, I kind of, uh, I, I shouldn't say disagree, but I, I'm kind of in the middle about this um, um, analyze of um, moral police, um, um, like harassing more working class or poor people than rich people. Um, this is not something that I um, claim that it's a true observation of me, but I've been in Tehran for almost three months now. Uh, for three months, I've been everywhere uh, in Tehran, um, and I didn't see any uh, moral police anywhere in Tehran. That's what happened to, unfortunately, to Massa uh, was an awful uh, incident. So because I, my observation is different from what people say, which I, as I said, I don't disagree, but it's kind of, yeah, it's, it's a bit confusing for me because I didn't see any moral police anywhere in Tehran, not, not only in working uh, class suburbs or middle class and not even, in the north. Of even before the protests? Even before the protests, Because yes. some people... Yeah, because I, I asked you that because some people are saying that uh, they haven't seen any morality police or guidance patrols after uh, after the death of Bahsa Amini. So, like, the government didn't talk about it, but they kind of abolished uh, the morality police. But you're saying that, no, even before that, you didn't see m many... Uh, the reason like I am saying it is not I, I'm not I'm not saying they don't exist. I didn't see them. Yeah. That's why I don't I can't um, I can't agree or disagree with this analyze that uh, they harass more working class or poor suburbs than rich people because I didn't see them anywhere. <laughs> so um, yeah, but the thing the thing about that is that uh, for example, rich people usually use their own car. They don't take the subway, for example, or the bus um, to, I don't know, work or the park or to places they yeah. want to go, right? So that's how, um, in that sense, mm, mm. like the middle class and the working class are more likely to get stopped by the morality police, but Absolutely. not that like they are specifically um, like stationed in uh, uh, like uh, places in Tehran where, which, where mm -hmm. is like you know the working class lives or something like that it's not like it's not uh, it happens as a, um, like it naturally happens because you like the morality police wouldn't stop people in their cars or wouldn't even notice that people are not observing their um, uh, observing the hijab the, the right way, for example, in their cars. But it's also that I get I this is something that I have heard and kind of have seen that there are places in Tehran, like uh, especially in the wall-off areas in the north of Tehran, uh, where the dress code is like really relaxed and you would never see mm -hmm. uh, morality, please. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean that it's only there. Like you said, it's not like you walk, you walk, uh, I don't know, like walk uh, in different neighborhoods of uh, Tehran and there is morality police like everywhere, but not the well-off uh, areas. Mm -hmm. It's not like that. I mean, they are mm -hmm. everywhere, but that's how it works. Yeah, exactly. but that's a that's a point. I mean, it's uh, class is a is an element, but it's not a big element of the of mm -hmm. what is happening. This is exactly what I mean when I say I don't agree or I don't disagree because it's based on my observation and observation or lived experience cannot be the main reason for you to kind of uh, join a site. Um, but, exactly. but going back to the to the question, um, look, um, this like the 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 famous slogan of this protest is um, women. 
as and in the uh, woman life freedom right so there is um i cannot see any demand in this slogan first second That's the, true. the root of this uh, chant is actually coming from uh, kurdish resistant in syria really so, yes oh so this is from this is from kurdish in syria uh in rojava hmm. but the, the the way that um kurdish uh, have been selling uh, the women resistance or women revolution this is coming from there actually but the way they're selling it is that we were uh, we were resisting isis um assad and the us uh, which is not true they yeah. became soldiers for imperialism in the region after a while i i'm not saying at the very beginning no uh we can't say that but like after a while this actually organization became uh, you know another a pack of soldiers for imperialism uh, with yep. the cover of women revolution and stuff so and it's going- not only that but the propaganda that enslaved those people to be imperialist soldiers leaked Absolutely. out into the western world and so westerners would be like oh i want to stick up for the communist l- l- feminists and and they went and they sacrificed their own lives mm-hmm. for the imperialist troops because that yeah. leaked out and that happens in a lot of these psyops where it, it like impacts and it, it collects like uh, recruits from unexpected pockets mm-hmm. around the world but that mm-hmm. that's a great example of the that intense uh like manipulation actually affected people outside as well and they came and joined they are stealing syria oil 80 percent 80 like this is how kurdish people are literally stealing and helping the u.s to get the oil out of syria like these women um, yeah women rights uh demand that they put uh, also for afghanistan what happened when uh, just a couple of days ago our, our afghan girls they they were they were killed in the worst way i can even imagine in a very young age at school like where is the like i don't want to do this high baptism high about this high about that because if we if we start this kind of uh, questioning like this is a very funny uh it's gonna be a very funny end for this because i i know where i'm standing uh, and i know how uh, reluctant um iranian women middle class are about actually women rights <laughs> so um when they get this slogan from a kurdish resistance in uh, like uh, in syria um what they actually i i literally asked in a space in twitter from someone what does that mean woman freedom life what does that mean what do you want like why you don't have a very um objective demand from the government this is what we want like um like me and setar we are living in iran and we are against um, morality police right so we want to get rid of morality police same thing that happened for black lives matter i don't agree with that campaign uh it got really liberal at the end and it was very predictable but whatever so black people ha- are being killed um and then what people want in the street is put an end <laughs> put an end to the death of black people very clear very direct demand this is what we want but why they don't ask this from iranian government because that's not a trend it hasn't happened before and they know that will not happen again so they cannot make a demand that is very easy for the government to make sure and to kind of promise that it won't happen they know it won't happen so they cannot say black lives matter or women's rights uh, women's lives matter in iran because they know it not it's not going to be they tried gonna... sorry they they actually tried selling this uh, uh slogan of women's right or iranian lives iranians lives matter or iranian women's lives matter but nobody 
bought no, that at all. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. I think there's an important part of that Black Lives Matter propaganda is that like the initial thing was for the death of individuals and they would talk about them and they would say, you know, the mm. media shouldn't be ignoring them and, and whatever. And then it morphed into this difficult to quantify thing, which was black, the quote, Black Lives Matter. It was like, well, yeah, I mean, it's just, it gets further and further away from like a demand or from a representation of a real event. And you get more into this space where it's hard to take action. And mm. I think that that's what ended up with the kind of confused violent state, which I don't know whether organized or not, 